Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Interrogation and deception expert Dave Zulawiski visits Fraud Busting. He'll tell all about the realities of polygraph testing, the driving force behind fraud, and give us some details on the fraud investigations he's done from car dealerships to construction to, of all things, recycling. He'll also give us details on the most important skill you can develop to spot fraud and scams for yourself so you can find the truth. Enjoy. Dave, welcome to Fraud Busting. Thank you so much for coming on today. Glad to be here. Well, I, you know, I was so thrilled because we got to speak at the same conference. We were at the, what was it, the Bankers? Security. Uh, uh, Bankers Hotline. That's what it was. Bankers yes. Hotline Security. And I was so thrilled that uh, that you were there kind of backing me up on what I was saying. And, and uh, I could just tell the depth of your knowledge and so that's how we ended up here today so why don't you tell tell us all about you um what do you do now how'd you get to where you are let's start there um well i started off um as a special agent with the railroad um doing interstate theft investigations and then went to uh suburban chicago police department uh where i spent about three years doing patrol and investigations and um, then I left there to be a polygraph examiner and um, spent uh, about three years doing that. And that's where I met my partner, Doug Wicklander. And um, in 1982, we opened uh, a company that very inventively we named Wicklander, Zolowski and Associates. <laughs> so, uh, that was back in 82. So we're, uh, I think we're going on our 38th year or so. Oh my goodness! And so, so what are y'all specializing in uh, today? Uh, well, we do we do two parts of the business. One is investigation, um, and we do that for uh, private companies. Uh, we assist police departments on um, preparing for interviews uh, or helping them do them. Um, we uh, the other part of the business is um, training how we do that. And uh, so we train most of the major businesses in the country. If you walk through a mall or drive down the street, they send their investigators to us to um, teach them about the patterns that we use to do, uh, do an actual interview with, with somebody. And then uh, we do, um, we train local, state, federal governments, uh, inspector generals. Um, we probably do I don't know, 450 seminars around the globe each year. Um, so it's uh, two parts. One is what we do, and the other is kind of how we do it. Oh, well, um, that, those sound like a lot of the same classes that I've been through, real similar. Um, I, I, you probably know um, Stan Walters. I've trained, trained sure. with him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so you have a lot here going on, and I want to know about it. I know my audience wants to know about it. So uh first thing let's talk about the railroad because i didn't realize till too long ago that railroads have their own police force pretty much isn't that true yeah. or yeah and so yeah, and 
Yeah, Go talk ahead, about sorry. that. Um, well, basically it's, it's like an internal security function. Um, historically, the railroads uh, had to provide their own protection back before there was police departments, especially as they proceeded west. And um, at one point they hired out to uh, like Pinkerton's or a Wells Fargo to handle that and later brought it in house. Um, in Illinois, where I'm based, the uh, special agent is, uh, has powers uh, for investigating any crimes against the railroad, both on and off railroad property. Um, and then also the dual responsibility of handling internal investigations from employees that uh, would do anything from be drinking or drugs on the job to uh, internal theft or frauds. So it's quite a wide-based uh, investigative effort. Wow. Now, let's, let's back up a little bit, because I think you have, uh, I, I bet you're going to have some knowledge on this. With Because um, I was watching this thing on the History Channel uh, not too long ago about the Pinkertons. Hmm? And, and they... Because there was a problem at a at a steel mill, I think, where they they got into trouble. And this is just you know little history background fun stuff, right? Um, and didn't they shoot a bunch of uh, people on strike? Or how how did that go? How big was the company at that time? Like I, I you I'm know, curious. I I know the the general details of the incident. Most of the time, especially in the early years when the railroads were outsourcing things. Um, the, there was less investigation. It was a little more strong arm union busting kind of stuff that mm -hmm. they would do for, um, for the railroads. And, um, so there, there was frankly, I bet a lot of brutality involved. In that. And, it, and it wasn't just Pinkerton's Wall Fargo. There's, there's a number of early, uh, entities that, that worked for large corporations that were a bit heavy handed. Well, I imagine so. Um, things weren't quite always as PC in days gone by, I think, as, as now. Um, so anyway, that's just kind of interesting. It, it came up here in Denver because we had a, a TV uh, reporter who they hired a bodyguard, a bodyguard for, and they said, uh, it, who ended up shooting someone at one of these protests here in the last couple of months. And they said they hired him from Pinkerton. So are they still around or is that a knockoff? Do you know? No, no, it's, it's the original organization. Oh, really? uh, I don't know what happened there, but um, Pinkerton's has been around for years. They're still, still very much in business and, and provide guards, provide investigative services. Um, so they're kind of a full service um, operation. They're, you know, they also do international um, We've trained some of their investigators out of uh, out of Asia, where they have huh. um, folks out there that are basically doing the same things. You know that they would do international investigations overseas. Oh, interesting! That is fascinating because I figured it was some new knockoff <laughs> of variety of Pinkertons with a sketchy history that they ended up hiring. Well, I, so, if they're if they're using the name Pinkertons, I would imagine that. Uh, uh, it's, it's the original group. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, cool. So here, here's what else I want to talk to you about is polygraph. Let's talk about that. Um, 
And I'll tell you a funny story. So when I showed up to Stan's class, and uh, I'm sure they're a lot like your classes, you got 30 guys and a couple girls in the back of a police station squad room somewhere. And um, so I get there and they hand out the class list. That's the first thing he did. Like, who's there? What do they do? And there were five guys that listed their, um, listed their occupation as polygrapher which I did not know what it was. I was, I was thinking something different. And so I, I nudged the girl I was sitting next to and I said, so all these guys have five wives? I was like, that's the main thing that they put down. And she's like, no, that's polygamist. These are the polygraph guys. I was like, oh, right, got it. So, so let's talk about polygraph because I'm sure you've had some pretty unique experiences with those and um what are they what are they really measuring um and and if i'm right they're not admissible in court so um and i'm sure there's some gray area there but why don't you tell me a little bit about and tell us a little bit about the background there how it works the whole thing because we could probably talk about this for hours well it, first of all it's it's you're right it's generally not admissible in court um there are certain exceptions if um lawyers on both sides agree and the judge agrees, uh, then the, the examiner can testify. Um, typically where it's used rather than in, in a courtroom setting is much more of an investigative effort. So you're looking to eliminate truthful people from an investigation and ultimately hopefully focus on the person who's responsible. Uh, while it's called a lie detector, it doesn't detect lies. Um, what it does is it detects changes in the body's physiology. So mm -hmm. typically what, um, what you're measuring is uh, respiration patterns. You're measuring um, GSR, galvanic skin response, changes in the blood pressure. Um, and when, when there's a, a fear of detection, generally the, the theory goes that uh, if you're afraid, your body undergoes some physiological changes, which could be changes in the level of breathing. Uh, it could be a rise in blood pressure, change in flow of blood to the tips of the fingers. So there's a lot of things that are measured. And there's other things that can be measured, but that's, that's kind of a, what a basic uh, polygraph uh, revolves around. And a test itself is, is generally uh, very upfront. They you do a pretest interview where you talk through um, the, the issue that you're investigating. Then you uh, go over all the questions that you're going to use on the test so that there's no surprise questions. Um, and then you run a, a series of, of three to four tests that last um, generally two to two and a half minutes in length. Um, and then at the, at the conclusion, then there's a numeric value uh, that you score it and reach a decision of uh, deception indicated or no deception. Now, here's a question. So um, some friends of mine are um, in defense, have to get um, uh, security clearance and things like that. And oftentimes they'll bring in a polygraph and they say that the uh, the guys running the thing like do their best to, to get them mad and to uh, make people angry during the test. Is that common? Is have you heard of that? Or, it no, seemed unusual no. I, to me. I, I mean, you, generally you're asking some fairly uncomfortable questions. Uh -huh. um, so if it, it, there's, there's three types of questions that are asked. Um, 
So the, the, the first question would be what we would call an irrelevant. Do some key people call you Tracy? Uh -huh. um, are you over 18 years of age? Um, are you at home right now? So these are, are known truths and they're not measured for anything related to um, deception. They're simply uh, a neutral way to start the test, to do spacing during the test. Baseline, uh, yeah. Right, to bring a person, if, if they cough or something, you may use a couple of those to bring the body back to, uh, to a normal. Um, and then there's the relevant question, which would address the issue. So did you steal the $1,000 out? Mm -hmm. Do you know who stole the $1,000 They're very direct yes or no questions. Um, so if there's any, if the person said, um, well, I suspect Sally, okay. You know, do you know for sure who did it? Well, no, you don't, because you only suspect. So we're gonna modify the question because we want you to pass. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, the, the, then there's a comparison question on most tests, which would be what we would call a control question. And a control question would be, um, if we were dealing with a theft issue, would be, did you ever steal anything? And the person might say, well, when I was a kid, I took a pair of socks. Okay, besides the pair of socks, or before you, uh, be, you know, before age 18, did you steal anything else? Or after age 18, did you steal anything else? In your life? Um, and there's probably, if you, if you think about this as, if you didn't steal the $1,000 out of the safe, what's more concerning? Is there anything else in your life that you stole? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basically a, a comparison. Now, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's kind of the general idea. So a larger response to the relevant question, did you steal the $1,000? Deception would be indicated. On the other side, if it was more uh, responsive to the control question, no deception. Wow. Um, but but to, to go back to the point that you made earlier, an examiner wants to be neutral. So you don't want to get somebody mad. Um, you know, asking a question, you know, about did you steal anything in your life, a little personal, kind of a bit of a poke. And some people, you know, kind of get their back up a little bit, but it's not done to make anybody angry. That's the last thing you want because that'll change the recordings, uh, the baseline of the person, and just makes the evaluation much more. Well, that's, I'm glad to hear you say that because I found it very odd when um, when they were talking about that, and it wasn't just one of them. And uh, anyway, so who knows how our security clearances are going these days uh, with, <laughs> with their accuracy. Now, what's the craziest polygraph situation you've been in? Do you have any that have been really unique? Probably the more, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say unique, but, but homicides, um, you know, polygraphed a, uh, a, uh, a fellow who was uh, suspected of, of murdering a, she was a drug dealer, a prostitute, um, and she ended up uh, being murdered, put in a truck and then the truck set a fire. Oh. Um, and he was picked up um, asleep in a barber shop that was adjacent to the, uh, to where the fire was set. Um, and so I polygraphed him and he was deceptive. And then, um, you know, he had said that he was staying overnight there and just sleeping there. And, you know, after several polygraphs and several uh, interrogations, we moved him from, well, okay, I wasn't asleep. Well, okay, I heard something. 
well, okay, I watched the whole thing out the back window. Mm -hmm. um, now, coincidentally, the barbershop was owned by a uh, sergeant on a police department, um, and his daughter had been killed, um, murdered in a bathtub. Oh. And uh, so he, um, he actually did both of the murders. And uh, uh, what was kind of odd, we had him into the office to, to do the last polygraph. And after we were done, he, he wanted a hug. So um, he's, he's currently uh, unavailable for, uh, <laughs> for dinner anywhere except in the prison. Now, wait a minute, he wanted a hug. Like, I mean, now let's talk about that a little bit because what you want to do is make people so comfortable with you that they'll tell you the truth. And, and I've never heard of someone wanting a hug before. So how did that, how did you get from, from picking him up to wanting a hug? How does, how does that unfold? Well, it's, it's, first of all, it's, it's a non-confrontational style. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're, if you're just going in and, you know, accusing people, the first thing they're going to say is no. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the important part is to keep people talking. And you do that by showing empathy, showing understanding for their, their lifestyle, their difficulties that they have, um, and slowly moving through inconsistencies to get closer and closer to the truth. Mm -hmm. Now with him, the, the truth only came after the DNA came back from both murders. Oh. So that made it, made it a lot simpler, but there was, you know, from a deception standpoint, um, there was, you know, no question that he was involved. So. Right. Now, did it take the polygraph to, to, to figure that out or could you see it body language wise? Um, during the pre-test interview where you go through the, um, the case facts, the person's story, um, other things, you, you have an idea, um, uh, that the person's probably not going to do too well on the test. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the evaluation of the charts makes the decision. But you do have you do have an indication based on the person's answers, uh, sometimes their body language, um, that will help you um, make a judgment about what their status in the investigation. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about some of the other investigations now. Um, Cause you said you, you know, you were working in Chicago, but now you're working for private companies. And um, does, is it more interesting? Um, like when you're so uh, let's call it in the public sector or in the private area with, with companies, what's, what strikes you as um, the most unusual? Um, they're just, they're very different. Um, you know, if you, if you're doing something, um, with an inspector general's investigators, um, they're very much like the private sector, but the government, the government is their sector. Um, so, you know, they're doing investigation of purchasing or, uh, collusion or bribe taking. Those are the, so to me, uh, an inspector general, uh, type of a situation is, is very similar to what uh, an internal investigator would be for a company. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, you know, you're talking about uh, a police function, um, you know, there's, I mean, it's a very different world because, you know, there's people that have guns, there's, um, you know, there's 
having to enter buildings by force, take people into custody. So it's, it's, it's a very different kind of an environment. Um, so, you know, the older I get, the less I need to have sirens and uh, <laughs> screaming and yelling. It, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the private sector is is a much more uh, is a much more civilized place to work mm -hmm. than necessarily the streets. Got it. Got it. Okay. So what's what's the crazy? Because I ask all my guesses. What's the craziest fraud story? or scam that you've investigated or um, yeah, let's, let's leave it there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real goofy ones. I mean, it, um, we had very often um, in offices, women would wear their gym shoes to get from the train and then have a pair of dress shoes sure. at the office. Um, and the dress shoes were being stolen. And um, they were finding them different places. And so we narrowed it down and um, it turned out that there was a security officer who was responsible for guarding the facility after hours. And he was stealing the shoes and wearing them during the shift. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, anytime you start to get into uh, fetishes or sexual types of crimes, they're, they're a little boggling of the eye uh -huh. you know i mean it's like uh, i can't think of the fellow's name that right off the top of my head but just got fired for having his pants off during a zoom call uh, oh one of the news news people i think uh-huh um you know but that that type of basic fundamental primitive emotion really can take a person off the rails um and it's a little hard for other people to understand why something like that might happen What's what's your thought on on why that happens? Having probably seen it more than a few times. You, you mean the well, like wearing women's shoes or not wearing pants on purpose or um, when I mean it's kind of a joke right, right now, you know, not wearing pants on Zoom. But I think that was fine for like March and April. But we're uh, coming on Thanksgiving here. I think people would would, would smarten up. Or what's the what's your it's, thought on that? It's I I think it's the the it's such a basic driving emotion for um, people to have to uh, have to procreate so that the race can continue. I mean, uh -huh. if, if you look at any animal, um, the need to reproduce is, is fundamental and it causes people to do all sorts of things. I mean, many frauds um, are directly related to sexual activity. Uh -huh. A person has uh, a mistress. He's only got X amount of money coming in, um, but he wants to take her out to dinner. He wants to go to a hotel. He wants, so where does he get that? Well, let's do an expense for mm -hmm. or let's, let's uh, take kickbacks or whatever. So, you know, at the, the motive at, at the very fundamental is economic, but there's a driving force behind that, which is sexual desire. Oh, wow. Okay. I never thought about that. Um, so then let's, let's talk about investigations and how is, is someone, someone comes to you and says, maybe it's not so, um, overt as like shoes are missing. Right. But maybe it's, it's, it's been a while and they're noticing some irregularities in the balance sheet or in expense accounts. What's your first 
step like like if anyone's listening that's having that what what would you advise them to do how would it differ from what you would do as an investigator coming in um probably the first and most important thing is don't share it with the world okay most you know most of the the frauds that come in place are not discovered by an audit once in a while you'll stumble across something but it's you gotta know you know Part of a fraud is knowing exactly where to look. And then it's pretty easy. I mean, the thread starts to come out and you can, you know, you can tease it away. Uh-huh. But, you know, if you've got um, a vendor fraud, I mean, you take a major Fortune 500 company or a big department store, they might have 70,000 vendors. Well, who do you look at? Right. You know? So a lot of times where you're going to get your first thing, it's going to be a tip. Somebody's going to call a hotline. Somebody's going to go to a senior executive and say, I don't know what this means, but here's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, or somebody's going to stumble across something. Person takes a vacation and all of a sudden an envelope comes in and it's got an invoice. They look at it, they start to check, and all of a sudden things don't look right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's more likely to be uh, either a tip or a stumble across it. Although now with some of the computer analytics, you're able to um, to fairly quickly look at somebody. So if you've got a cashier who's, um, you know, running a hundred, well, that's a crazy number, 500% more refunds mm-hmm. than anybody else in the company, you ought to go look. I mean, it might be that, you know, they're working in a place where they would get that or they're assigned to it. But if they're just an average line cashier and all of a sudden you're seeing these refunds and they're way out of line with everybody else, what's going on here? Something's got to be wrong. And so first thing is that you, you know, begin to compile a background of the person. How long have they been around? What's their, what's their life like? Do we have video camera? If we don't have video, can we put a camera up? Um, what can we do in the way of examining documents that might be available. So do we have, do we have refunds? Do we have signatures that we can look to compare? So the, the most important thing is loose lips sink ships. Mm-hmm. So if, if all of a sudden, you know, I mean, we just had one earlier this week uh, that we did. It was it's probably worth about a half million dollars. Oh, and wow. the, uh, uh, they stumble across um, it, it was a, 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 a dealership mm-hmm. and they had a, an individual who was going out and actually buying used vehicles. Um, and he had the ability and there was, again, no control, which is why a fraud happens. Um, he had the ability to write the check, make the purchase. He handles the whole transaction. Well, all of a sudden here you're getting checks for cash for over ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and is it a legitimate purchase? Well, you start looking at the titles; they don't, it, it doesn't look right. You start to look at um, the bill of sale; signatures don't look right. Talk to the customer. Well, that's not what I sold this vehicle for. Oh, so now you're seeing, okay, we got the vehicle, so that's not the problem. The problem is over here that he bought it for eight thousand wrote the check for 10,000 to cash, kept two. Oh. So it, it's a real simple scheme um, when, when you have those kinds of things. It becomes a little more complex 
if all of a sudden you have somebody involved in a, uh, we had a case with a, a ice machine. The, he was in charge of constructing uh, like convenience stores for his okay. company. So he had the ability to purchase up to $1,000 on his signature and he could author. Well, what was happening is he worked with um, a carpenter um, who was supposed to build the store, but he bought non-existent ice machines for $956. Oh. So the carpenter would send him a bill for $956. He would sign off, it's approved, and they would split the 956 bucks. That's a, it's a real simple little scheme, um, but a, you know about $100,000 over a, a six-month period. Uh-huh. Um, and it all comes to, to light when somebody, um, one of the senior executives called and, and said to the guy, uh, the, the convenience store owner, um, how, do, how do you like that new ice machine? And I, what, what ice machine? And so then they started looking and all of a sudden it un, unravels. Oh, wow. So then, so then it becomes a, an issue of, well, how do you close the case? You know, we've got, we've got two, two people involved. We've got uh, the, the carpenter um, and we've got the, the director of construction. Uh-huh. Um, so now, you know, we've got the pieces. How do, how do you close the case? Yeah, how'd you do it? Um, well, what we did is, is um, we, we staggered the interviews. So we brought the director of construction in first mm-hmm. and um, brought him in with one of, one of the senior executives to talk about general operational issues. Um, now, about a half hour after I start that interview, one of my partners meets with the construction guy. So we've got a lag time of about 30 minutes. So as I begin to, to find things, I can then take and pass that off to him if there's any information that'll be helpful to him. Oh, wow. Uh, but we, we go through the business and, and start talking about, well, what does this guy do? What does this guy provide for you? What does this guy provide for you? And somewhere in there mixed in is, what does the carpenter do for you? Oh, well, he puts up shelves, he does this, he does this. Um, does he do anything else for you? No, he doesn't. Okay, well, now we've got $100,000 worth of ice machines that supposedly came from him. You know he's got to be lying. You know, now if he had said, well, sometimes he provides ice machines. Well, now that evidence is not a suspect because he's, um, uh, you know, it actually has the, uh, the, inform- the information he's giving us that without knowing what we know at this uh-huh. point. And um, so I mean, the easiest way to detect deception is when you got a piece of evidence and the person lies about it. So, you know, they're still lying to you until they tell you what it is that you Right. So then, so, so that goes into, into prep, right? Before the interview, right? So, so, because uh, it, it's pretty common to go in and not expect any new information because you already know it. But if you get new information, that's a bonus uh, in a certain sense. Or, or what's your take on that? Well, my sense of, um, of, of large scale frauds is whatever you know is not everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's not unusual to hear about, you know, to me, this is, the guy wants money, which is why he's involved in doing this. Mm-hmm. So he opens the spigot and starts to divert money. So here, money f- 
for purchasing of ice machines. Mm -hmm. um, but there's hundreds of vendors that he deals with. So how many other spigots has he opened? Oh, and, right. And, and so that's what you're looking for here is what other problems that you don't know about. Um, we had a case not too long ago that uh, a senior ex executive vice president, he was a senior member of the team, mm -hmm. um, had, had purchased um, $6,000 worth of gift cards uh -huh. on his American Express. That's always a red flag. Those gift cards. Oh my gosh. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. Well, they, they talked to us and we said, well, let's check. Well, he claimed he used it for gifts at a golf outing. Well, we can't find the golf outing. Oh, we can't, we can't do. So his story to the president of the company can't be true because where he says it happened and when he says it happened, it didn't happen. Uh -huh. um, so the president decided that this guy was too valuable and just said, you know what, don't do that anymore. And um, I said, well, you better watch him. Well, six months later, he's working with a vendor to the tune of $60,000 a month. So, you know, these folks, when they, when they need the money, they want the money, um, they're going to get the money if they've got the controls and they can, and, and there is no controls holding them in place or nobody's monitoring those controls. Now, now, what was he doing with the vendor at 60K a month? How was... It was, it was essentially a kickback. Oh. So, he was, so he was saying, um, the, you know, this vendor was providing um, $100,000 worth of uh, IT okay. consulting. Well, he wasn't providing anywhere near that. It was closer to 35 to 40,000 a month. And he was upping it by 60. He had control so he could sign off on that invoice. That invoice then gets paid and the money comes back to him. How did that one get uh, revealed? Um, well, initially what, uh, what he wanted to do and how he was able to conceal it was he wanted control of his own financial of his division. Mm -hmm. um, it, and what happened was that all of a sudden the, uh, the, the corporate auditors went in and started to look at this big jump in IT consulting and why do we need that, whatever. And that's, that's when we started to look at. But, you know, I mean, anytime you get collusion and you've got somebody who, I mean, people will, will divert anything. I mean, pallets, uh -huh. you know, used cardboard, I mean, it's, it just kind of boggles the mind as to, as to you know, what they'll do. Pallets and cardboard. What do you know about that? that? That seems like the last, least valuable thing that people could think about. You would think so. Um, it, however, if you're, if you're recycling cardboard or you're recycling pallets, there's, there's a value to those. Okay. And so stealing the cardboard was costing the company $10,000 a month in recycling. Really? Yeah. Um, we see this all the time in, in metal. Um, yeah, metal. I've got that. Metal. Um, you, know, it's, you know, it hasn't got a skew on it. It's really an uncontrolled piece. And they begin to divert the money to them and goes away from the company. And so there's, there's a, a substantial loss. 
Wow. How, how do you find that? Is, is, people, is, is it the same audit thing where all of a sudden the line item goes away or? Well, in, in the, the last one that we did, it was actually a tip from a secretary. Uh-huh. Uh, she, she was um, responsible for sending the check from the recycling to the corporate office. Okay. And all of a sudden she noticed that there had been no checks coming, but she'd seen the recycler coming. Oh, and, and so that started the investigation, and um, you know, it, it turned out that uh, uh, we we ended up taking uh, the head of the union, uh, the head of the uh, the location. Uh, they were terminated. That led to three other cases uh, of other people doing exactly the same thing because the controls, and and finally the uh, the. Uh, owner of the, the company said, well, we're, we're going to stop because I can't afford to lose any more people. We'll just tighten up the controls and, and, you know, put a stop to this. Oh, wow. So, so he just didn't want to dig any deeper. Well, no, because he, at some point he couldn't operate his business if we kept taking out, you know, his senior people at each location. Um, oh so, my he had, gosh. so he had to make an economic decision. Um, you know, am I going to continue to terminate people? Um, or should I kind of cut my losses, put in controls so that you were, we're now monitoring this and, and basically shutting that spigot off? Oh my God! What now? What kind of company was it, or is it? Uh, they were they were a large uh, construction repair company. So they would they would take and buy um, like huge uh, anything from a bobcat to a, uh, an excavator, and they would take them for parts and, and what they didn't need anymore would go into the scrap. Oh, wow. So, so, was, so they had a lot of metal, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just like everything else, you know, when you started to, to do the backgrounds, all of a sudden the person's got a home in St. Thomas. Uh-huh, oh. His wife's unemployed, but she's driving a brand new Mercedes and he's driving a new Mercedes. and. You know, they've got, you know, they just came back from a, a two-week uh, vacation, uh, uh-huh. you know, at a very high-class resort. So clearly they've got way more money than they should have to, based on his salary alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. Oh, my gosh. You are just a wealth of knowledge here. So um, I don't want to keep, I mean, I could keep you all day, but I don't want to keep you all day. So, um What's, you got any final tips for people listening who, um, you know, either may have their eyes closed to what's going on around them, like how to open it, open their eyes up easily or, um, or how to, how to protect yourself just a little bit more these days. Cause you know, with the economy, how it is, the opportunity for fraud, the people with their backs against the wall are increased to, uh, 10, maybe a hundred fold. So what's, what's your parting tip for people? Well, the hard part is trust um, because the people you work with, you want to trust and you may like them a lot. Um, the, a lot of the people that do this kind of stuff, um, it can be pretty glib. They, they can be you know, nice talkers. You know, they, so you, you want to believe them. So the, the, when we get there and we start looking, we go, oh my God, it, this is clear as a bell, uh-huh. but 
you're looking at it through rose colored glasses, as they would say, mm -hmm. and we're looking at it in a much different way. We don't have all the, the relationships and, and, you know, the, the trust that's been built up over the years. So, um, I mean, pretty fundamental in any fraud is checks and balances. You know, you can't, you can't have accounts receivable and accounts payable with one person mm -hmm. without any controls over it. Um, a lot of these people, well, their story will be, well, I do what's necessary to get the job. Mm -hmm. So I need to cut these checks early. Well, if, if something unusual is happening, take a deep dive on it. That's, that's probably the most important. And if you've got somebody who is, uh, you've got financial problems, you need to watch them because they have a need for money. If you've got somebody who um, kind of plays loose and runs with other people other than their spouse, you better pay attention to business. Um, and, and some of them will be the most trusted people in the world. We had a, a case of expense fraud and the guy flew internationally and, and he audit stumbled across the fact that he's in China and he's, yet he's putting in for a $500 dinner in Chicago. Oh, oh boy. Well, we start looking and this guy is um, taking, um, he buys a first class ticket to China. It might cost $12,000. Yeah. But then what he does is he puts in that receipt as an expense, but then he takes his airline points and gets a free first class ticket. Uh -huh. And now he's got 12 grand of the company's money in his pocket. So, oh, wow. Okay. So that little dinner was just the beginning of a thread. And when you started to tease it out and you started to look and now all of a sudden, you know, the guy's got a vineyard in, in Michigan. He's got this, he's got that. And, and so um, a lot of things begin small and you don't quite know where they're going to go. So I guess watch the controls, make sure you got controls in place. Um, and when something doesn't look right, take a deep dive and don't tell everybody. Right. <laughs> Keep yeah. your mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, you know, a lot of times there's evidence to be had as long as that person doesn't know you're looking at. And it's also right. easier to look at them um, and talk to them if they have no idea you're coming. If, oh, you know, okay. Okay. So a little surprise ambush can help. Yes. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So, um, Dave, how can people get a hold of you if they need help or maybe talk about classes? What's your website? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, probably the easiest is through the website. It's w-z as in zebra.com. So just w-z.com. Um, and uh, I can be reached at dzelowski at wz.com. Um, so that's probably the easiest way and we can arrange a, a call or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, the depth of your knowledge is, is really impressive. I thank you so much for, for coming on, on the show today. Well, glad it was. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.